So here's an interesting thing about uh, that song. Uh, the same thing is true of Mary herself as a historical figure. Uh, Mary has at different times in history been more popular than at other times. As a matter of fact, there have been times in history where Mary was kind of raised to maybe not to be equal to Jesus, but certainly uh, above just being a human uh, who bore a child. As a matter of fact, you know the, the story of Cinderella, right? Cinderella. Who, who helped Cinderella? Fairy Godmother. You know who that was in the original version? Mother Mary. It was, and they changed it to, to Fairy Godmother. So there is these kind of legends and, and, and ideas about Mary that have kind of come up, and, and they're not biblical, uh, and, and they're unfortunate, and I'll tell you why in a moment. I'm not trying to pick a fight with uh, another uh, branch of Christianity or anything. Uh, I just want to help you understand why Mary is important, both because she's the mother of our Lord, but there's another reason, I'll tell you that in a moment. So along come the Protestants, and even though initially they still venerated Mary to some degree, um, less and less so over time. And so uh, the Protestants came to believe that some of the things that had been said about Mary were not true, that there was no evidence that she remained sinless or even was sinless up to this point. Pretty good indication. Theologically, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God except for Christ. So she probably wasn't sinless. She, probably, she definitely wasn't divine. Um, some say, well, she remained a virgin her whole life. That's not necessarily true. Jesus seemed to have some siblings. So um, some of those things that have kind of been spread is, is not necessarily true, okay? But here's the problem. The biggest problem with trying to raise Mary to a level that she is not is that we are robbed of an opportunity. If we understand Mary for who she really was, she was human, just like us. She had struggles and issues just like us. Now, she may have been one of the better of us, and we don't know why God chose her, but he made a good choice, I think. That's borne out in the way she, she lived her life, or what we know of it. But what we get to do is we don't get to know why God chose her. It wasn't because she was perfect. There's no indication of that in Scripture. But in having chosen her, we get to look at her identify with her struggles and identify with and be inspired by her decisions and learn. And so while the Protestants don't venerate Mary, sometimes we ignore her. And I want us this year to look at Mary so that we could have, well, maybe we could have a Merry Christmas. Because <laughs> I want to suggest the first Christmas was most fabulous for her. <laughs> Fairly difficult, I'm, I'm understanding that, I get that. And yet... She knew something. She was, was in on something that the others were just finding out about. And she had a different kind of Christmas. So I want to I kind of uh, talk about that today just for the next few minutes. And uh, I want to read that passage. And, uh, and it's found in Luke. And if you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, if you have a Bible or if you have, uh, um, if you have an app or if you'd like to read the screen behind me. Here it is, Luke chapter 1, starting verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, let me just pause a couple things. One uh, is that she was just probably no more than 15. She probably, this marriage had been probably arranged by her parents. She wasn't yet married, but it wasn't really engaged like we look at it. It was something between the two. Um, so for one year, they would be engaged or betrothed, promised to each other. And during that year, uh, if there was infidelity or there was some character flaw or something, uh, the, it could be broken off, but it would be called a divorce because it was legally binding otherwise. And so when we find that Joseph, um, when he found out she was pregnant, he knew it wasn't 
his, he said, well, I'm going to divorce her quietly. Divorce, even though they weren't in, in a marriage, living together, physically uh, uh, having a relationship, but they were uh, uh, engaged, a much stronger version of engagement than we have, okay? Now, she lived in Nazareth, a little town, which, by the way, if you ever go to Israel with us, um, we'll take you there. Nazareth is now a, uh, uh, it's actually a, an Arab city, and uh, much bigger, but now there's a church there, and if you have a good guide who knows their way around, they can lead you and get special kind of uh, access to a little place right outside the church, just out of, outside a side door, kind of nondescript. But what it actually is, is an archaeological dig under another building. It's an archaeological dig, and they have dug down to where they can confirm by the items found uh, at that level uh, uh, that it is from the time of Jesus. And, and it may not have been Mary's home, but it would certainly be within a few feet. The, the little village, they, if I remember right, I think they suggested no more than uh, four or 500. And that may be bigger than it really was. I'm, I'm just I'm trying to remember that number. Um, but that home that you see there, very modest, would be, if not her home, one very similar and within a few feet of where she lived. And so you were right there. And so she is from kind of a backwater town. Uh, she's a, a young girl, uh, not super uh, educated, sophisticated, not a part of the elite of Israel. And that is who God chose for uh, the mother uh, of our Savior. And so with that background, let me mention one more thing. We always like at Christmas, we like to have angels, put an angel on top of the tree and there's angels and stuff. We have a really wrong conception of angels, I think, because every time in scripture when an angel shows up, what's the first words the angel has to say? Do not be afraid, because evidently angels are not cuddly. Evidently, they're, <laughs> they're a little imposing, it turns out. Who knew? So... Uh, with that in mind, we go on with verse uh, 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. It's an interesting interaction with this angel that came to visit Mary. And if we're to have a Merry Christmas, I think we need to do some things that Mary did. And the first one is to be a believer. She was a believer. Now, what's interesting, when I say believer, I don't know what that conjures in your mind. For a non-religious person, sometimes I, I think, and by indications of popular media, they kind of look at us and think we're just kind of simple-minded folks. You know, those poor folks, they don't know better. They need that religious stuff. Well, I, I want to suggest to you there's nowhere in Scripture or in church tradition that suggests that to be a Christian, you have to turn your brain off. It's not that we don't know how to think. It's that we think and we still believe. And matter of fact, because we think, we may even be, believe more because it kind of makes sense. Because if Christianity is hard to swallow, you find an alternate explanation that doesn't require more faith to believe it for our existence, for the purpose of our existence you tell me what makes more sense, right? And so for us as Christians, it's not that we're non-thinking. We are thinking. As a matter of fact, Mary was thinking about this. That's why right off the bat, she's, she was troubled like, okay, an angel's showing up here. 
you know, she was like, oh, good, an angel, this will be fun. There was none of that. It was like, what's going on? Something's up. Something's up, right? And then if you, if you look in chapter 2, it, it, she says, as she was listening to all the things, in chapter 2, uh, verse 19, Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, there's an interesting word, pondered, because you, you and I kind of think of pondered, pondered like, it's not that. It's, pondered is actually, it's an accounting term. And what she's doing in her, in her brain, it says that she is adding things up to try to figure out what the answer is. And so there's an angel, she's pregnant, but shouldn't be. There's the shepherd. And so she's adding all of this up. She is thinking through what is possible, what is the answer, what is really happening here. And so she's not ignorant. Oftentimes we think of the ancients as, you know, a couple thousand years ago not being very bright. One of the greatest things about traveling to Israel is that you see the Roman aqueducts. You see their sewage system in the ancient world. They were not ignorant people. They, they were thinking people. They didn't have the same technology we have, but they understood a lot of things um, that we don't understand, maybe, and, and in practical ways. And she certainly understood what it meant to be pregnant and how he got that way, and she knew she wasn't a candidate. But... Having done that, she is thinking through this, and then she comes up with the obvious thing, a question. How? How? She knows that she's not a candidate for pregnancy at this point. Being a pregnant virgin is fairly unusual. It's only happened once that I know of. Uh, How? One of the reasons, I, I don't remember what author it was. I forget who wrote it, but I read recently somebody said they love Christmas as a pastor our author, he said, I love Christmas because it always brings up the Christmas questions. And that's true. They're great Christmas questions. And it's not just what I'm going to get my husband or wife or, or what we'll address that in a moment, by the way. It's not about that. The Christmas questions, like, why are these people decorating their, their homes and their stage and they dress up and they're so excited? Why are these Christians so excited about this thing? By the way, maybe you're here and you're not a person of faith or the Christian faith anyway, and you're like, what is going on with this? And so here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you for a moment to just try to understand where I'm coming from or where we're coming from. Is it possible that this Christmas thing isn't just a tradition? It's a tradition based on a truth, a historical truth, that there was this person, and this person claimed to be, and in reality was God, who came to visit us to reconcile us to himself because we had stopped believing, we had stopped having a relationship with him. Is it possible? If, is it possible that whatever you've been told about how the earth began might not be the entire truth? That maybe there was a point in time where somebody started it and the one who started it is the creator and the creator started it so we could have relationship with that creator and when we turned our back that he came to us so that he could forgive us so that he can reconcile us to himself is that possible maybe you're here today i'd just like to challenge you just to pursue that for a moment <clears throat> many of you uh, who come here regularly will over the next few weeks leverage a relationship promise dinner threaten whatever you need to to get a family member or a friend here on Christmas Eve or one of the services so they can hear the good news of what happened at Christmas. I want you to know that I appreciate how hard you're going to work to get them here. And I want you to know I'm working equally as hard to be ready for them. Because here's my goal. My goal is to get them to think about the Christmas questions. 
so that you can have a conversation and tell them what happened to you when you came to grips with, was this really God? And if this was God, and there was a God who loves us that much, and he would come as a little baby, not in power, so we'd have to serve him. There's a little baby so we could choose to serve him or not, who would die for us so that we could be forgiven. If there is such a God, doesn't it make sense that I would want to know him and that that could change my entire life if I did? See, that's the Christmas questions I'm going to try to stir up on Christmas Eve services for you. I want you to be able to tell them your story. The Christmas questions. By the way, I don't think the Christmas questions, that idea is just for those who are coming to faith. I think even those of us who have been in the faith for a long time need to find and allow God to guide us to maybe new and fresh Christmas questions. For me, the question of a virgin birth isn't kind of a big deal. I mean, if God could put the whole world together and keep this little tiny planet specifically where it's just warm enough for me to enjoy it and green enough and white enough and blue enough that it brings beauty, then God can make a virgin birth. That's not really a problem for me. I don't, I don't struggle that way. Let me tell you what, maybe my Christmas question would be this year, and it's more along the lines of how could a 15-year-old girl have so much faith and why don't I? <laughs> What would it mean for me to say yes to God every day? Not just once in a while, but every day. What implications could it have for my life? What kind of incredible redemptive kind of part of his plan could he reveal in me and through me if I could say yes every day? Like that 15-year-old girl who with her eyes open said yes. See, that's the Christmas question for me. She says, how could this be? And the angel explains it to her. By the way, just, just quickly, real quickly, parenthetically here, there's another guy, Zechariah, who was Elizabeth's husband, who was told that his wife was going to have a baby. You remember that story? And he questioned God. See, I grew up in traditions sometimes where they didn't want you to question God much. God doesn't mind you question. God is really more concerned with your heart when you question, here is Mary, how can this be? God doesn't seem to have a problem with it. Zechariah your wife is old and, 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 and has not had children, but she's going to have a baby. And he's like, no. <laughs> and he starts to question God. The difference is he was doubting God. She was just seeking God. He was going, no, that can't happen. She was saying, tell me how this can happen. It's a different heart, you see. So when people come here and they're asking the Christmas questions, I hope they're in this camp going, okay, I'm, I want to I be open. If this is possible, I want to see how. Not forget this. It would mess up my life. I, I, no way. I, that's a different heart, isn't it? We need to have a merry heart. <laughs> what Christmas question do you need to address? Do you need to ponder this Christmas so that you can say yes, maybe for the first time or once again? Yeah, she was a believer. By the way, what does it, what does it say to you when I say she said yes? What do you think of? Right? An engagement, right? She said yes. It sounds like an engagement, right? Interesting. Uh, my wife and I were watching TV. It's on the news. And they showed what looked like a robbery in a, in a kind of a 7-Eleven type store, and a convenience store of some sort, and, and there was the robber, there was the, the, the clerk, and this guy and his girlfriend. And halfway through the, lob, the, the, the robbery, the guy with the gun starts to approach the couple, and he starts to ask this woman questions. And then she's crying, she's hysterically crying, and then her boyfriend gets down on one knee and proposes he'd set the whole thing up. Honest to goodness, I saw it on the news this week. 
I don't know if she said yes because I was too busy yelling, say no, say no, he's an idiot, say no, shoot him, get the gun and shoot him. <laughs> I don't yell at the TV often, but I was yelling, no, say no. She said yes. Sometimes we say yes to the things we should be saying no to, and sometimes we say no to things we should be. She said yes. See, here's the deal. Um, not the girl and think this girl. I don't know what that girl on TV said. If she said yes, she's an idiot. Anyway, uh, but Mary said yes. Here's what's interesting. Oftentimes we think that you can be a believer and not say yes. We think that believing is just, okay, these facts may be true. That's not believing because if really, you really believe that Christ was God incarnate, come to forgive you and reconcile you and give you heaven forever, there is no, yeah, I agree with that, and then nothing happens. To be in agreement is to respond. RSVP is required for this party. You've got to respond. You've got to say yes. And when you say yes, it's not just, oh yeah, this set of facts, I say yes, those are true. No, no, it says those are true and therefore my entire life is going to change. Therefore, I submit my life, my will, my agenda, my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations. I submit all of those to you, God, because you know better. Think about Mary, 15-year-old girl. I'm going to marry Joseph. We're going to get married. We're going to have 2.5 kids, two donkeys in the garage. It's going to be great. <laughs> Here's what Mary knew. She knew that her position in society was going to go down. It couldn't go any other way. She's a 15-year-old, never been with her husband, and now she's pregnant. Pretty good chance he's not going to stick around. And the minute he leaves, the word gets out, her belly starts to show, her reputation in that little village is done. It'll never recover. And in that day and age, such a thing as honor killing, it had kind of ceased by this time, but it had been practiced historically. Still possible. So there was actual physical danger, possibly. So here's this woman, she is never, 15-year-old, she knows she is never going to have the same position in her culture, in her society, in her village she had before. And yet, she said yes. She submitted those hopes, those dreams, those aspirations, because she believed that God knew better. And that's the crux of believing. It's not, people always say, well, well, what about this? But they have all these questions, all these apologetics. Well, how could this happen? How could this happen? That stuff's usually just kind of put up against the side of, I don't want anybody else to be in control of my life. Those are just supports for what I really want. I want to be in control. In a society where this kind of self-determining, that's our highest value to say that I'm not in charge of my life is a really hard thing to say. And yet that's exactly what Mary did when she responded. May it be to me, as you have said, I say yes for all that that implies. I don't even understand everything it implies. I say yes. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing for us to do. Every Christmas, we get a chance to stop and say yes. Herod, he couldn't say yes. The sages, the, the religious learned men stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't want to say yes, but there were some people who said yes. There were some shepherds who said yes. There was a little 15-year-old girl and her husband-to-be who said yes. The townspeople, they didn't want to say yes. The wise men, however, traveled a long way to say yes to God's plan for the life, which is always bigger and it's always more powerful and more wonderful than we can ever imagine. We just can't see that in advance until we say yes. Faith is required to say yes. She said yes. And when she said yes, something else happened. Something began to change in her. 
I don't know about giving uh, gifts is hard. I'm not a great gift giver necessarily, but I, I talked a few weeks ago about how uh, my wife and I differ greatly on how to give gifts. You remember that talk? I've been sleeping in the garage now for two weeks, <laughs> but I'm still right. So I found this letter just to show you I'm not the only one. This is written by husbands to their wives uh, through the hand of Max Lucado. Ladies, we know you mean well. We know you think you know best, but enough is enough. We have suffered in silence for too long, having shared our pain with one another. We husbands hereby step out of the shadows and open our hearts. This year, as you shop for our Christmas gifts, please don't buy us what we need. We know we need to smell better and look nicer. We know you like us in warm pajamas and new underwear, but we do not know what to say when we open these gifts. How can you fake enthusiasm over house clippers? How can you look happy holding a nose hair trimmer? We've lied long enough. For the sake of integrity on Christmas morning, we offer this guidance. As you look at any potential gift, ask yourself these questions. Can he play with it? Does it swing, bounce, shuffle, cast, or roll? Can you find a trigger, grip, ripcord, or stick shift? Does it consume oil or dog food? Does it have a big screen and a remote control? If it does, buy it. Doesn't matter that he already has one. This is no time to be practical. When considering an item of men's apparel, ask yourself, is it brown and green and rain resistant? <laughs> Did I mention this guy's from Texas? I might help you understand a little better there. You can't, lose, uh, you can't lose with any garment that is. Realizing that many women prefer to shop anywhere but the gun department, we offer these two questions. Does it make him look cute? Does it make him look like a hunk? If the clothing makes him look, look cute, drop it immediately. <laughs> if it makes him look like a hunk, buy two. When all else fails, ask, can he eat it? <laughs> Note, the question is not, would you eat it? Or do other humans eat it? Or is it edible? Don't occupy yourself with such trivialities. The question is, can he eat it? Anytime the answer is affirmative, consider yourself on safe ground. In closing, we extend this offer. If you will buy us what we want, we will do the same for you. Without revealing any details, we will tell you this. A large vacuum cleaner company has offered us a group discount. And you thought we were insensitive. No need to thank us. Signed, your husbands. So, ladies, there you go. Now, I read that with fear and trembling because I know that 99.9% .9 of the fun stuff around Christmas in my house is done by my wife. And I just wiped out half of it. But anyway, it's all right. So what do you give at Christmas? What do you give that person that's got everything? I remember my dad, we would shop for that guy, and he, he, if he wanted something, he'd buy it. He didn't have a lot of wants. He'd buy it, and anything he really wanted, we couldn't afford it. And so every Christmas, went, hey, thanks, guys. And, you know, he was just kind of one of those. And he was trying to be nice, but we could all see, you know, yeah. what do you get the one who has everything? Well, I'll tell you what was given at the first Christmas, and it was the gift of praise, of worship. And it was done by angels. It was done by shepherds. It was done by wise men. You see, the greatest thing you can do to have a Merry Christmas this year is to begin with worship. Begin with worship. Acknowledging who God is. Acknowledging what He's done for us at Christmas time. We're never instructed in Scripture to celebrate Christmas. But along the way, Christians decided we should celebrate not only His death and resurrection, but even just the fact that He showed up, we should do that. Celebrate. Celebrate verbally. Worship and verbal, that's why we sing these songs. They're not just warm fuzzies for us. It's so that we can acknowledge to God that we realize what happened at Christmas. 
We should worship together. We should worship verbally. We should worship corporately. We should worship demonstrably. Matter of fact, I'm going to challenge you. As you lead up to Christmas and you sing Christmas songs and you come to church, I'm going to ask you to include not just your mind and your mouth, but your body. You see, he didn't just show up with thoughts and words. He came with a body. So for some of you, that'll be raising hands during worship experience. For some of you, it'll be clapping on. For some of you, some of you, it'll be just this. (laughs) Hoping nobody noticed you moved your big toe during worship. (laughs) He came. There's this great story, and you've probably heard it so many times at Christmas, and actually as an author has tracked it down. It turns out to be a true story from World War I. I know you know it, right? It's between the Germans are fighting the English in World War I. There's the name of the town. I can share it with you. It's 1915, and it's Christmas Eve, and the, the shelling has kind of slowed down. It's gotten dark, and the English hear from the German camp across the way Christmas carols. It's the same melody as the English ones, but they're singing them in German. And they listen, and so the English sing the Christmas carol back to them in English. And as the night goes on, they begin to sing carols to each other. Young boys far from home, having been conscripted in the army, many of them wishing they were home for Christmas. They begin to sing these carols. And it goes on throughout the entire night. And they begin to sing together. And in morning, the strangest thing happened is the sun rises. There is an open field between them. And a couple of the soldiers make their way out on the field and invite the Germans to come and play. And report is it's soccer. I didn't know that soccer existed in 1950. I don't know. And they begin to play on Christmas morning. Now, you've, you've heard that story. You know, story, and it's verified. It's historically true. It's, and, but the interesting thing about that story is what led to peace for that moment, because we talk about peace on earth at Christmas time, and rightly so, and what led to peace was begun with worship. So today, I'm going to invite the Republicans over here and the Democrats over here, and we're going <laughs> to... I got a soccer ball. (laughs) Worship is not just words we say. It impacts who we are and who we become and what we do. So Mary goes and she visits Elizabeth and her relative. And here's what happened. So I don't know if you're in a conversation, kind of a tough conversation you had with somebody, and you thought it came out well, and then you hear out later, you hear later they went home and it kind of soured on them, they kind of got mad about what... I do this sometimes when I'm, when I'm in, in conflict resolution or confronting something. I say, now, when we're done, we're, I, I want us to agree to how we're going to... Don't go home and get mad. If something gets sideways, call me. Let's work on it some more. Don't go home and go sour on me because we're working on this in, in good faith, right? Here's what happens with Mary. She goes home, and it's not just, oh, good, I'm going to be pregnant. She thought it through. She knew it. And as it gets closer to the day, she goes and she visits Elizabeth, and she sings this song, the, the Magnificat, and, and, which is just a word taken from the Latin from the first paragraph of the thing. And she sings this song of praise about how God has been good to her, such a humble person, such a, such a lowly person. And God has been good to Israel. And she sings this song of worship. Because as Christmas, as the birth of the Christ child is getting closer, she's not dreading it. She is excited about what God is doing. As we worship at Christmas and we begin to fully realize what God has done for us through worship, we begin to grow in our enthusiasm that not only did he come then, but he will come now. Not only did he do healing then, he can do healing now. Not only did he restore people then, he can restore people now. But it comes through worship. I would challenge you to make worship 
an integral part of your Christmas experience. Corporate worship, put Christmas songs in the car, sing them with the kids, whatever you need to do, because you're going to worship something this Christmas. How much better to worship the one, the Christ who came at Christmas. And then she was a witness. She saw what Jesus had done, and she saw what he was doing. So you remember the, the, the story, it's found in John chapter 2, and, and they go to this wedding in Canaan, and, and the weddings go three, five days, seven days sometimes. So they ran out of wine, not surprisingly, they ran out of wine. And here is Jesus, and, and he hasn't done any public miracles or anything, but somehow Mary knew he could fix it. Because she had been a witness to Jesus the whole time. She had been a witness to what the angel said. She had been a witness to the virgin birth. Whether anybody else believed it or not, she knew. And she'd been watching Jesus. And so they run out of wine. And here is, here is Jesus going, I'm not ready to kind of go public with this thing yet. Let's just kind of keep it on. And Mary's like, <laughs> just do what he says. She tells the story, just do what he says. I'm not sure Jesus would have chosen turning water into wine. I'm not sure that's the highest use of his abilities at this point. Right? But Mary was a witness. And whether she was believing for enough or not, she was a witness. She saw what had happened. When I was younger in my faith, people would challenge Christianity. I'd kind of get a little, get my back up a little. People challenge Christianity now, and it doesn't faze me a whole lot. If I have an answer to the question, I'll try to answer it, but it doesn't shake me. You know why? I've seen too much. If there's some theological point I can't quite figure it out or some question I can't quite answer, it doesn't shake my faith because I've seen too much. He's done too much in my life. He's changed me too much for me to deny it. He's healed too many marriages in front of my face for me to deny it. He's brought people from addiction to freedom too many times in front of me. I can't deny it. I've just seen too much. See, Mary had seen too much. She had seen so much that she knew who he was. She didn't understand the full implications, but there's an interesting thing happened. She was a witness to who he was. And at the end, she was not just a witness. She was a proclaimer or an influencer for Jesus. At the very end, let me just give you this. In Acts 2, after Christ has resurrected and then ascended into heaven, they go back to Jerusalem and they begin to pray. And what's interesting about that particular passage is it names who was there, but not by name. The only person named by name is Anne Mary, the mother of Jesus. Why? Uh, she was the first Christian. She believed before anybody else believed. She knew before anybody else knew. And she was still with him. As a matter of fact, there's an extrapolation by some theologians to suggest that when Peter stood on the day of Pentecost to preach and they all proclaimed the gospel, that Mary was there standing among them proclaiming, because it said it was Galileans, which would include Mary, that she was there proclaiming the good news of who Christ was. Here, remember this. Here was this little 15-year-old girl who decided to go down. Down in her expectations down in her aspirations, down in her possibilities, down in her society. And at the end, she not only was lifted up, she saw the redemption of the world. She saw the beginning of the church. One of the keys to having a Merry Christmas is be humble enough to trust his plan and to allow him to have his plan for you, which is greater than your plan for you. And at the very end, she stood and she influenced others about this Savior that was her son. I have a couple of friends. One of them's name is Randy, my brand new friend. I just met him this week. I've already invited him to Christmas three times. I already told him, I'm going to get you to Christmas. 
So could you need to be there? It's going to be good for you. Okay. I don't know if you'll come or not, but I'm not done yet. I have another couple of weeks. If you see a guy laying down here hogtied, <laughs> his name's going to be Randy. I have another friend named Juan. I'm telling you the names because I want you to realize that I think I'm supposed to be an influencer for Jesus right now. I think I've seen so much, not just to keep it to myself, not to just be secure in my salvation, not to just have some knowledge, maybe somebody else doesn't. I have seen so much so that I can share it with someone else. Can you imagine sitting down with Mary going, tell me about the night, tell me about the angels, that's got to be crazy. And, and with the hay clean, and the things that Mary has seen, the things that I've seen, the things that you've seen, who are you going to share it with this Christmas? Who are you going to share it with? Help them ask some Christmas questions. Is all this stuff possibly true? Don't just write it off. Is it true? Because I think it changed my life. What do you think? I think he really was who he said he was. Have you ever looked at who he said he was? The Christmas questions. This Christmas, I want you to not only find the Christmas questions for you, I want you to include somebody else in that process. See what Christmas questions God might give them to think about, to ponder, if you will. Let's influence Let's do what Mary did. Let's proclaim. Let's have a Merry Christmas. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It is mind-boggling what you did. It is mind-boggling what you do. It is mind-boggling who you are. And yet, as difficult as it is to try to fathom or imagine your redemptive plan and the implications of it for our lives, there is nothing else better to think about, to ponder, to try to figure out then how it is that you are so perfect and so loving that you love us. We're so imperfect and so often unloving. Lord, I just ask that this Christmas we would have humble hearts like Mary and yet great courage like Mary, that we would stick with it and see what you're going to do like Mary did and that you would one day allow us to influence someone someone that we love, someone that we care about, maybe someone in our own family or our own neighborhood that we could influence them with the good news of, of Christmas, even amidst all of their Christmas questions, that we could be there to tell them what we have seen and what we have heard. Lord God, let this be an incredible season for us, for your kingdom. Let us be like Mary. In Jesus' name, amen.